This Week at Hope Point. The one thing that separates the religion of Christianity from all the religions of the world is that we are a teaching religion. We bring God to men by way of teaching the Bible. That's what separates. Every other religion is pretty much about rituals. We're about teaching. Paul told Timothy when he later would pastor the church of Ephesus, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. There is a special bond, uh, a very unique bond in ministry between a church and its founding pastor like no other ministry relationships. And if I really could put my finger on three essential reasons, ingredients that we did make 20 years, I would summarize them in this way. What God has done for us, what you have done for me, and what I have done for you. Friday night at Barnett Park, we talked a great deal about what God has done for us He gave us his vision for what he wanted to do in this city and to the nations. God gave us a high vision of Christ, making him known. What you have done for me is partnered with me in the vision that I received from friends 20 years ago to start a church. Didn't matter how devoted I was, if there was no team, the vision would not have been fulfilled. What I've done for you is a promise every week that I would try only to say that which God has already said in his word. And all of that has resulted in 20 years, by the grace of God, a church called Hope Point. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, reason number two today, and then to go a few minutes at the end on reason number three, about the partnership in that vision. This is the way Paul said it to the church he started in the city of Philippi. Chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, the, the Apostle Paul received a vision to start this church, but that vision would have been unfulfilled had he not had a team waiting for him, again, by the sovereign working of God in the city of Philippi. So to really understand what he means about the first day he met these believers, he has to go all the way back to the, to the day he received the vision from God to go to them. And that's found in Acts chapter 16. Paul is in, and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. Remember, none of this is man's vision it's God's vision, so he's directing, don't go here, go here. Kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Paul wanted to go east. Holy Spirit said no. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, again, eastward bound. <laughs> but the Spirit of Jesus said no, because it's my vision, says Jesus, not yours. So they went down to Troas and just waited. God, what are you doing? Here's what he's doing. During the night, Paul had a vision, this is God's vision, of a man of Macedonia standing and begging, come over to Macedonia and help us. So for all of that time, Paul was, you know, he was trying to go 
east into Asia. You say, that's a good place to take the gospel. Holy Spirit said later, but not now. I want you to go west into Europe because this is my vision and I'm appointing you to take the gospel to Europe. And that's how he ended up in the city of Philippi was because God had told him, go west and not east. That was the beginning of this church and no vision goes anywhere unless there's a team of people to embrace it. So here's what happened in Philippi to start the church after he said yes to the vision. He's in the city now of Philippi. He's preaching. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And I just watched a documentary on how that is made. It's unbelievable. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart. There's the sovereignty of God. He saved her, gave her the ability to to become a believer, to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, I love the fact that our 20th, we're having baptism. She's baptized. Our family's baptized. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And that's how the church of Philippi was started. God's vision and God's initial group in the city of Philippi is how the Lord worked. So when Paul's saying, uh, when Paul said, I, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, he's thinking about Lydia. He's thinking about her children, her husband, and all those who were baptized in part of the first city. The second group of people Paul is thinking about is What happened that night after he preached to Lydia and her household, he was arrested. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He and Silas were put in a jail in Philippi. And then in the middle of the night, while they were singing praises to God for the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Thank you, God. I get to do this thing called ministry. Thank you that I get to labor and give my life for Christ. While they were singing praises, God sent an earthquake and all the, the gates of, of all the prisoners opened inside the prison. And the jailer thought that he was going to, he needed to kill himself because he had let everybody escape. And then he heard Paul's voice say these most comforting words, don't harm yourself, we're all here. So, so that jailer that night saw two miracles. Miracle number one is that somebody could be publicly Uh, stripped and beaten, arrested, unjustly imprisoned, and they praise God for suffering for Jesus who suffered for them. (sighs) Remarkable. Second miracle that he saw is they didn't try to escape because they knew there's something better than the freedom that man gives. It's the freedom that Christ gives. When they were in that prison, they were already free because Jesus had freed them from their sins. And so when Paul says, I thank my God, well, let me, I should finish this. <laughs> Acts 16, 9, the jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because this miracle, you see, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, forgiven, heaven bound, you and your house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And so when Paul writes the church 
at Philippi, years later after this incident, in what we call the book of Philippians, he writes them and he thanks them that not only did they open their home to them, become hospitable to, the, to Paul and Silas and start a church, but years later, they were still partnering with him. Like 20 years later, they had for not, for not forgotten Paul. And he mentions this at the end of the letter. Philippians 4. It was good of you to share in my troubles. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. They had been with him on day one, and when he wrote them 20 years later, they were more of a partnership than ever. So that's what I want to thank you first today, is your partnership. You know, I told you about Paul having that vision in Troas to go and start this church. That's the vision of God. Do you know that 21 years ago, a group of people, seven families in this city, had a vision for a new work here, and they met together for a series of prayer meetings to start a church, and I wasn't even there. This is not my vision. It's God's, and He invited me into it. And so He spoke to those seven families, and they eventually contacted me and said, we think you are to be the one who preaches for us and the church that we're starting. So truly all glory to God. I, I never had a vision to start a church. God did. He told seven families. And out of the seven families, only one of the seven families is still here. And that's fine because God sent them out other places. But one is still here from that original prayer meeting. And so I want to thank you that without your partnership in that vision to those seven families and to me, none of this happens. Look what happened in 20 years. Children's ministry, lobby volunteers, student ministry, music, audiovisual ministry, people with administrative skills, people who pray a lot, give a lot, people who teach English to internationals from six countries of the world on Monday and Tuesday night, those who have a passion for going out and serving the Lord and digging water wells and preaching the gospel in India and Africa, those who are called to go serve on our college campuses here and all over the United States, all of that was made possible because of your partnership in the vision. None of that happens if you would not have been partners with the vision. The vision that God gave me is now in your heart, or has been in your heart from the beginning, that that was necessary for the work of God to continue. So when Paul says from the first day until now, he's thinking about all of those, that hospitality, all of that giving from that Philippian church. Now, that verse means something different to him than it does to me, because when I think of the first day, I literally think about the first day. When we did launch in July of 13 of 2003, and we began meeting in Oakbrook School, which was our home for 16 years, which we had to set up and tear down every Sunday for those 16 years. If you weren't a part of that uh, wonder, those wonder years, you could recapture that joy in 22 seconds.
I wish it were that quick then. But it wasn't. So most people who served on the setup crew back then got to church around 7.30 that morning, and oftentimes they'd leave somewhere near 1 in order to make that happen, to make church happen. That was the partnership for 16 years. You know, of all the setup and teardowns in Oak Brook over those 16 years, my most memorable probably was day one. There was a little mis- miscommunication between our leadership team and their leadership of Oak Brook. And so on Friday before July 13th, 2003, uh, we received uh, an email from them that we couldn't use the gym because they had just urethane the floors that week and they didn't want us to mess them up. So, you know, we knew that about 70 or 80 people were probably going to come. What do you do? Where do you find? So a group of people, myself, a, a team on... Saturday morning, we went all over the city to Home Depot, to Lowe's, to all appliance stores looking for refrigerator boxes and dishwasher boxes, and we cut them all up with a carpet knife, and we covered that gym floor with different pieces of cardboard duct taped together to make a covering for their floor. That's the only way that it worked. Now, I do, I do admit we, we did very quickly, within three days, find a phone number of a company in California so we would never do that again. And we paid $1,500 for a tarp to be delivered by the, next, by the next Sunday. But I can't think of a better metaphor of this church than all of those different shapes of cardboard being duct taped together to form one purpose. And I look at you, all the gifts and experiences and all the way that God has shaped you through suffering and through your, your skills, your spiritual gifts, your calling, your story... And when I look at all of those pieces of cardboard that were laid down on that first Sunday at Oak Brook, I say, there was not one piece of cardboard that was unnecessary. They all brought together the whole. And every one of you. Nobody can display Jesus quite like you can. If you're a greeter or serve with Hope Point Kids or AV, nobody can quite make someone hear and see Jesus as comes through your personality. You are beautiful pieces of cardboard, all fitting together, held together by the duct tape of the Holy Spirit. Though we are headed in thousands of different directions with all sorts of jobs and interests and hobbies at different socioeconomic levels, we come here and have been for 20 years, and we have one purpose, glued, taped together To serve Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is the duct tape that brings you and I together in perfect unity. We've all experienced the same salvation that Jesus took our sins away. He died for them on the cross. He rose from the grave and filled our bodies with the Holy Spirit. And that is the one tape that binds us all together for the common partnership of spreading the gospel to the city and to the nations. You know... Um, if I had a, another memory of setup at Oak Brook, it would be about six months after we started, we received another email from Hope Book that we can't use the gym, not for one Sunday, but for five months. They were renovating. So again, we're probably up to 110, 120 people by then. Like, what do you do with that many people? Well, because of the way that you've partnered and been flexible, this is, this is what we... This is what we did. We went up to the upper school and we met in the hallways. 
I preached looking down one hallway straight in front of me, and then to my right was another hallway. We squeezed 100, 110 people in there, and the band was in the middle of those hallways. And I can assure you, if you ever think they're loud in this room, they're loud in a hallway. And yet you did it. Because you say, well, this is what it takes to partner with God and His vision. We're going to do that. And you've been doing that for 20 years. Two things come to mind when I think about the partnership of people and Hope Point. The first is the staff. Uh, all over the place today. I mean, just unbelievable. Just to watch the coordination. I, I get in the water. So somebody helps with the towels, the candidates, the microphone, the testimony. And people have met with these people all throughout the past month, hearing their testimonies and and the most wonderful thing, and then the staff is, I work with people who are very high capacity and have one goal in life, and that's to do all things in their area with excellence. I can't tell you the joy of working with such people. And they are willing to wear, sorry, that was, I won't do that. When we were, when we were meeting back at the, y'all were pretty flexible, but Roger, one of the original seven, he did say, I would like to be back in the big room when possible. But when I think about the staff, I think about this picture of Melanie. When we were in the process of renovating this building, we just saw how many construction hats we could stack on our head. But that's, that's all the staff, all the time. How many hats do they have to wear in order to get the job done? We love the staff. And you know, a lot of you enjoyed a great outing Friday night at Barnett Park. You know, it was just amazing. The rain came down and it was sort of a teeny bit of a despairing moment about 5.45. And then all of a sudden at 5.59, one minute till six o'clock, the sky came out, that beautiful rainbow that all of y'all saw, and it's like God said, excuse me, what time did you say you were starting tonight? <laughs> six. And at six, it was perfect. But there's a lot of people who did a lot of things for you to enjoy God. You know, you, you think about the band on stage, and sometimes it looks like they're you know, pretty cool, rock stars and all that on stage. But, you know, they, that was like a and it was like the Mojave Desert under that awning on stage. And then, of course, Tuesday night, they were here for four hours, which they often are, you know, give or take, to, to practice so that you will feast on God on Sunday. And even that rainy day, we had so many things that had already been put out when the deluge came that you just have all these volunteers running around. This is a picture of Addie. Just, just that a lot of people stayed soaking wet in order so that you would have a semi-dry sandwich by the time we got together. But when I think about this church, you know, I think back in 2003, we had about 60, 70 people that showed up July 13th for that first service. And now today, it takes 130 people to show up just to volunteer to pull off one Sunday here. And the ministries during the week. It's amazing. The partnership has grown and grown of those who are also receiving the new vision or receiving the vision in a new way of God. Then, of course, in 2017, we, we found this, this property, an old Kia car dealership, and together with Equip Studios and Harper Construction Company, we began working on renovating this year, right here, this middle, right here at the front of the road. This is right where the oil pit was, where they used to change the oil on the cars. And 
you know, you've done such a beautiful job. We started with a $5 million loan in 2019. It's down to $2.2 million because you're, again, partnering, not with just coming and serving, but extravagant giving. And, and you know, I remember, you know, the, the first time we, we gathered in this building, we gathered to pray for God's blessing now that we were making this first move. And I want you to know this every piece of concrete in this building is, is covered in scripture, mem- scripture verses that were written in magic marker uh, beneath the carpet and beneath the tile from those who gathered to pray over the services the, the first day. And, 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 and what I, I, I really uh, love about this is that you, 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 the building was never the focus. Even when we moved here, some were concerned, will the building become our focus? And it never was. It was always just a, a launching pad of ministry. And so the focus of the building has always been a place where jumpstart graduates who come, men and women formerly incarcerated, now learning to live life again in the freedom of Christ in the city. And we often host their their functions here. And then you think about Dear Katie and English Crossing picking up where Amber and Thurston started. And we have just hundreds of internationals coming, uh, you know, throughout the year to learn English. And not just to learn English, but now they're learning English by learning it as it looks in the book of Isaiah. Last semester was in the book of, in the book of John. That's how the building is used. It's never been about the building. It's been about people. And even probably seven or eight months ago, the parking lot was filled. 170 cars, 170 families that Christ, the Carolina Pregnancy Center was trying to help because their, their income was stretched to the max and they need supplies for their children, for their babies. And Hope Point was the place for all of those cars to come through. And so many of you gathered out there, and not about the building, but about families of the community that need help. So yes, a thousand times times a thousand, in my every remembrance of you, I am filled with thanksgiving. So three things have made the church work for 20 years. God's vision to bring glory to Christ through a new church is his vision. Secondly, your partnership in that vision with me and with the Lord. And third, my promise to you that every time you came, I would do my best to tell you what God had said in the Bible. This is how Paul said this was his promise that he kept when he started a church in the city of Ephesus. He's a, he'll never see them again. He's telling them goodbye. Meeting with them on a beach in the village of Miletus with the Ephesian elders. This is what he says. You know, I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you I have not, once again, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Before we launched this church, uh, I met with four men for six weeks, see if they were, they were representatives of the seven families. Then I met with 60 people for 10 weeks to tell them If I was going to be a part of it, the only thing that I was going to bring and the only thing I was going to rely upon was the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God and the singing of the Word of God. Our highest priority every Sunday has always been the T 
teaching and preaching of the Bible because true life change only happens as people see God as revealed in His words that He has written. I promise to you, I would never tell you anything except what God has already told us in the Bible. My job was not to say things to help you like God. I've never been interested in that. Certainly not been interested in you liking me, though we're so grateful that you're going to send us to the Yellow Mall in Gaffney for a shopping spree. That was what was inside the box. Thank you. Just love that. I'm grateful that you like me, but my goal in preaching was not that. My goal was to, for, for you to see God for who He is, and then you make a decision whether or not you thought He was an infinitely worthy King for you to bow down to, or you to walk away from Him and reject Him. That's your decision. I just would tell you who He is as He's revealed Himself. So I told those 60 people that, it's funny that I said this to them, if we make it 15 years, that's sort of like, man, I couldn't believe that would happen back then. If we make it 60 years, the strategy will be no different in year 15, now year 20, than it was on day one. The preaching and teaching of the Bible is what changes lives. Because I don't know what you need. Not a clue. God does. And He wrote it. The book written by God for what you need. He knows what you need. So Paul so believed in the power of the Bible that he did this for about three years when he ministered in this city called Ephesus. When he first went there, he went to the synagogue to see if the Jews wanted to receive Christ. Acts 19, 18 and 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. This is all biblical preaching is doing. I'm just trying to argue the point that you would think differently about God when you leave here than when you came in. Your thoughts of God, mine included, are not high enough. It's why we worry, it's why we lust, it's why we're greedy, it's why we're bitter. If the thoughts of God were higher, drive that stuff out. So I just want to argue from the Word, think better, more clearly about God so you'll love Him more and serve Him more. So Paul, former rabbi, speaking to Jews who did not believe in Jesus Christ. So what does he tell them? He uses all his intellect to take them to the Old Testament to show them that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything God wrote in the first 39 books of the Bible. He's using the Bible. So Jews will be saved. Well, they didn't want to be saved. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, so Paul left them. This is a very encouraging verse to me in the sense that sometimes it's not the fact that I just preach an awful message that somebody would reject Christ these people had the man who wrote half of the New Testament and they still said, this is not enough. They just didn't want God. They didn't want their minds changed. So Paul left. That's sad verse. Did he ever come back to them? I don't know. But what God's saying to you today is important. 
You don't know if this will be your way again or God will come this way again like this. So Paul went to another group of people in the city, but he didn't change strategy, still preaching. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Think about this right here. He is in Ephesus, the capital of Asia. And he's preaching to pagans, not former church people. These are idol-loving, culturally deceived unbelievers. And so he spends two years preaching the Bible so that everybody who passed through that city heard what? The word of the Lord. That's all he had. Think about the people that were there. It was the capital of of Asia. There were medical people. There were people there as students for, went to university. There were business people. There were people there to shop. There were people there for political reasons. And didn't matter who was there, he said the answer is the preaching of the word of God because only God can change a heart. Only God can do it. So if you were to ask Paul today, if he were here today and he were to get the box for being a good church planner, say, Paul, well, what's your vision? He'd say, God, what's your strategy? The word of God. Yeah, but, but really, there was nothing else for him. He it's just the word. So people could see God, not him. That's what happens when you preach the Bible. You want people to see God and not you. You know, the greatest revival in the history of the world occurred in Europe in the 16th century. A Catholic monk named Martin Luther read the book of Romans in the New Testament and saw that the only way to heaven is to believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross to absorb our guilt and his suffering, and he rose from the dead to declare that he, unlike any other man, is the Savior of the world because he conquered the strongest enemy of the world, death. And when Luther saw that, he believed. His life was so changed, he said, I want all of Europe to believe. I want all of the world to believe. And so he started translating the Bible, which was only available in Latin at that time, into the common language of the German people, And the result of his preaching and his translating was a wildfire of revival that spread throughout the world. When Luther was later asked, what part did he play in the Reformation, the greatest revival in history? This is his answer. I simply taught, preached, translated God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. So when we were together Friday night at Barnett Park, I mentioned to you a number of ministries that started out of, out of Hope Point. I, I won't mention those again. You sort of much see them all the time and you saw a few pictures of them today. But I just want to make it clear. I just want to say one thing once for all. When I started, by God's grace, I just, I'll just say that phrase. When I started this church, I didn't have a vision for any of those ministries. 
but God did. My job was to simply preach, as Dan said, and hold up Jesus like a diamond. And week by week, use another passage of Scripture to turn Him so that you would see the infinite beauty of Christ. You would see His incarnation one week and see that He left everything in heaven to come here and live the sorrows that you experience on earth. And then He he died on a cross, allowed Roman guards to beat Him so there would be a place for you to take all of your guilt to transform from your heart to the cross. So I say that a Sunday. And then another Sunday, I turn the diamond more through biblical preaching, and you see the, the gift that Jesus gave you when he breathed the Holy Spirit into your life. And over and over again, we're just turning diamonds, or the diamond, by biblical preaching. And when people see the beauty of Jesus, that's when they hear a vision for their life. And that's why all of these ministries started. You see Christ, you want to go serve him in radical ways. Just this week in my office, a young man came to my office, could not believe the vision he laid out. Now that he's following Christ. If a pastor truly believes that life change occurs through the preaching of the Bible, when you hear him preach, you'll hear lots of Bible verses If he believes that life changes from his own charisma, you'll hear lots of stories and lots of anecdotes. But we over and over again point you to the Bible. I just want to say this. If the one thing that separates the religion of Christianity from all the religions of the world is that we are a teaching religion. We bring God to men by way of teaching the Bible. That's what separates. Every other religion is pretty much about rituals. We're about teaching Paul told Timothy when he later would pastor the church of Ephesus, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. My preaching professor used to say at seminary, I hope that when you get ready in your study on Monday to prepare for your people, that you'll see my eyes peering through your office window, that you will work harder for God than you did for a grade in my homiletics class. You'll not be ashamed of what you're going to say on Sunday. When I was recovering from my illness and you were so grateful in the spring, when I was having trouble getting my focus back and I just didn't know how I was going to do this again, I went to see a neurologist and tried to explain, like she couldn't really quite understand. Like, you know, you seem fine to me. I said, my job is a thinking, meditating job. And so I brought into her office all the sermons I had preached to you in one year. I said, this is what I do for a living. I think about the text. God, what do you want to say to these people? And by God's grace, you prayed. And now I get to do that again. I get to do that again for more years so that I can say with the Apostle Paul at the end of my life to you, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.